Uh, good to be on a podcast. Yeah, you're yeah. going to love it. What, whatever that is. Nah, get your iPod going. Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the music. You can't have the Pretender's first album. That's mine. I bought it. You did not. The catchphrases. Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? And the wannabes. Sometimes I see you dance around the house in my underwear. Doesn't make me Madonna. Never will. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Hey, it's Stuck in the 80s time. This is your host, Steve Spears with TampaBay.com. And my uh, doing a jig little friend over there, it's Sean Daly, former pop music critic for the St. Petersburg <laughs> if Times. You, if Huey Lewis has any say, I will no longer be the pop music critic of the St. Petersburg Times because... Today's interview with is an interview with Huey Lewis, the San Francisco rock and roller who's playing Clearwater, Florida tomorrow night. It's Valentine's Day. And he sat down with us for 30 minutes, and uh, it's, it, it's pretty raucous. <laughs> and he do, we do uh, uh, Huey and Sean uh, butt heads a little bit yeah. in this one. It's a great interview, and we've been looking forward to talking to Huey for a long time. Both of us are huge fans. In fact, you wrote uh, a glowing yeah, piece. I'm, I retract it. <laughs> I retract everything I say. You wrote a, a glowing piece about Huey, what, six months ago. And what, and what was your rule about Huey? That nothing bad can happen to you when a Huey Lewis song is playing. Really? Yeah. Nothing bad. Power love, you're safe for four minutes. Once it's over, death. <laughs> but anyway, let's roll the tape and... Uh, we'll be back afterwards to uh, sum up uh, Sean's oh, resignation. Huey. Hey, Huey, welcome to the Stuck in the 80s podcast. Thank you. Thanks to be on a podcast, whatever that is. Oh, man, we got at least 12 people listening a month. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, hey, this is Sean Daly. I'm the pop music critic at the St. Pete Times. How are you? Good. How are you? I, uh, I'm excellent. Hey, I, the important question first for you. Mm-hmm. How, how's your golf game? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's okay, I guess. Come on. What, what's your handicap? I'm an eight. Are you an eight? You know, yeah. I, I did an interview with uh, Kenny G a couple months ago, and uh, G, Kenny G said he's a one. Right. But, but I said Huey Lewis can totally kick your ass in golf. <laughs> so you're in, you're in town to do uh, a gig at uh, Ruth Eckerd Hall in Clearwater, and you're doing a couple other dates in Florida. Exactly. Uh, how long has it been since uh, the whole band's been together and done a, a small tour like this? Oh, not, not, not very long at all. We, we work all the time. I mean, about uh, how many dates do you guys get out now per year? Well, typically we do 80 to 85 dates a year. Wow. Uh, which seems to be about the right number. It's not nearly the 200 we used to do, you know. But it's, uh, but it's enough to keep your, keep your chops. You know, I mean, if you don't, as long as you don't work too hard at this ripe old age, it's like falling in love all over again. I mean, if we don't play for two weeks, it's the most fun thing in the world, you know. So uh, it's a great job as long as you don't have to do it, you know, 200 shows a year. You know, I talk to veteran uh, rock guys a lot, and they all say that they're a better band today than they were 20 years ago. Is that the same thing with you guys? Yeah, it's true. I think it's very true. And why not? I mean, you listen to uh, even, I mean, the only physical sort of limitation is, is in the voice. And when you think about it, you uh, you know, Frank Sinatra's maybe best, clearly my, my favorite, and certainly my 
I mean, a lot of people, I, I would say his best record was Live at the Sands, which oh, is yeah. a live version to double album, Count Basie, Quincy Jones, Live at the Sands, 1966. He was 50 years old. You know, that's on, I think that's on the box set they just released. Yeah, and, he, and by the way, that, but he was in best, in better voice than you've ever heard him. Uh, and absolutely in the, in the, in the, in the peak of his powers. But he, but you forget it was 1966. He was 50 years old and he was dead in the water. The Beatles had hit and they were, they retreated to Las Vegas and played these little music rooms. Uh, you know, the, the band of them. And that was his, that was his, uh, creative pride. Uh, hey, congratulations on, uh, your success with Chicago. Thank you. Yeah, it was really fun. Really, really fun. What, what, what do you think is tougher, Huey, being a rock star on stage every night or being a Broadway star every night? What's tougher? What's, what's well, Broadway's t- way tougher. Uh, not because it's the endurance part. I mean, you do eight shows a week. But the thing that's tougher about it is that you really have to be on your game. You know, it's, you're way out there. You know, you're naked out there. And every, every bad note is, is, you can, is way easier for people to hear. And it's just, you know, you've got to be way on your game. You can, you can hide in the middle of a big rock band once in a while if you have to, you know. And, uh, but, but you can't hide on a Broadway stage. And plus, weren't you, you were performing with B.B. Newirth, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good Lord. Yeah, it was great. Is she the the most incredibly built woman of all time? I mean, just like athletically, I mean, she's just a tremendous. Mm. She's a wonderful dancer. Nobody dances Fosse like BB. You know, I mean, she's she's just quintessential Fosse, and 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 she's a perfectionist. She's very serious about her work, and and uh, and, and that, that's a, that's a lot of fun when you no. work with somebody like that. You no. know, the the material in Broadway is so rich that that. Or at least you know my play was, and, and most are most successful plays. Are, that that you you can keep discovering stuff as you go along, and and the role changes for you, and so on. So it, it actually stays pretty fresh, even though there's no improv in, improvising. You know, right? I mean, uh, an imp- improvisation in, on Broadway amounts to a facial expression. You know, but uh, as opposed to our show, where you can do whatever the hell you want to do. So, right? Were you were there any reservations about taking the role? Tons. I didn't think I could cut it. I, I'm not a legit guy, and I was. They asked me whether I wanted to do. Uh, I mean, there was some interest about Music Man for me, and and I, uh, you know, I I knew the Robert Preston role, and I was just daunting. And I, I said thanks, but no thanks. And then when they inquired about this, I, uh, you know, I I, I was going to say no straight away, except that my son goes to NYU, and I had to. I was visiting him the sort of following three days anyway. So I said, well, I'll go see it first. And I had never seen the play. I'd seen the movie. I hadn't seen the play. And I went to see the musical, uh, the play, and uh, I was just knocked out and additionally thought, you know, I could almost do this. And so uh, it, it fell into the heading for me as creatively challenging. And uh, I said, yes. Well, you got more musical chops than Richard Gere, at least. Yeah, but he did a film. No. That's a film actor. Anybody can do it on film. Ah, throwdown. Excellent. What's that? Uh, no, you threw down. Like, how was your uh, the, the no, husband? I mean, no, I mean uh, Richard Gere is an excellent film actor. I'm not trying to belittle Richard Gere. No, I'm just he's kidding. A, he's a film just... actor, and what that was was a film. So when you make a film, you want a film actor because the close-ups and the acting scenes are the important part. The dancing and the singing 
you know, the singing, they make the record first. They actually go in with a huge orchestra and cut all the music, and then they bring the actor, the singers, quote-unquote, in, and they sing it one note at a time or as, as long as they need to do it or to pro to it. Or, there's a million ways to get people to sing. Right. Then once they have the nice record, then they do the choreography, which is you lip-sync the choreography, or lip-sync the record while you do the choreography. You know, so, I mean, there's no... no there's no surprise that they'd want a film actor to do a film. It's, it's the hard part is, are the, are the, you know, sensitive scenes in a you know, film. It's, you know, I'm not, trying, I'm not trying to belittle. <laughs> no, uh, no, we were just teasing. That's we were just, just me being a creep. Yeah. Sean's that way. Uh, now, do you like? Would you like to continue your acting career? What, what, would you, what would you see in the future if you continue acting? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to do. You know, I'd like to work for Martin Scorsese. Who, who wouldn't? You know, I, I find it very challenging for me. For me, uh, you know, we play our songbook. Most people want to hear our old stuff, and we're going to make another record next year, I think. Oh, excellent. Uh, Good deal. So that, we'll have, so that we'll have a new song or two. You know, we, we made a record called Plan B, which is our favorite work, and, 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 and literally eight of our favorite songs to play out of maybe 30, you know, are from this, this, this record. But we can't play them all because nobody's ever heard them. It wasn't as popular as our early records. And people truthfully want to hear the old stuff. And why wouldn't they? I can't play them. They'll... They don't hear us every night. They only hear us once every five years or whatever it is. So uh, knowing that, but, however, you do need to, you know, as a storyteller, you do, you do need a new story every now and then. Yeah. So we, um, we will make a new record for, and, and blah, blah, blah. But I'm, I'm perfectly content to play my songbook a third of the year. And when I do it, I, I enjoy it as long as you don't do it more than 80 times a year, you know yeah, what I right. mean? I love to play harder rock and roll, but I don't want to play it 200 nights a year. 80 nights a year, it's a ball. They say the harder rock and roll is still beating. And from what I've seen, I believe them. Now the other may be barely breathing. But the harder rock and roll, harder rock and roll is still beating. And so that leaves me with a good chunk of the year with... with uh, that I've designated to just purely creative stuff, stuff that just piques my interest creatively, period. And hey, uh, and that's where acting and, and Broadway and all that shit comes in. Yeah, no, I, I gotta I ask just for me, it hit me like a hammer. It's one of my most listened to songs on my iPod. Absolute mm -hmm. truth. Do you ever play that in concert? Yeah, we did for a while. We haven't done it in a while. We actually just did a new arrangement of it but we don't have quite together but we've tried to put a horn section on it a little bit so See, i think if that so, I th that song would have come out maybe like five ten years earlier i think that would have been a, a giant yeah. hit it's a great yeah, song yeah well it was yeah it's a mutt langer song mutt and i wrote it together oh, is so. that, no kidding mutt, i want you know i want to ask you mutt, but, mutt doesn't miss too much you know and if you listen to it it's very similar to a lot of adam's stuff that adams did and it's you know mutt has a certain style to him that you just I mean, even 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 a guy as prolific as Mutt repeats himself. And, well, let me ask you a question, yeah. Huey, about Mutt Lang, because uh, right now Rick Rubin is the producer du jour, right? Sure. And yeah. uh, but with Mutt, who worked with you, but also ACDC, you know, uh, Farner, Farner, Shania, Shania, well, Shania, his, Adams, his wife, Michael Bolton, but you, uh, Billy Ocean, uh, Billy you know, Ocean, oh Def my. Leppard did wrote all the Def Leppard stuff. That's wrote, right. wrote and sang all the Def Leppard stuff. Now, you say that he has a certain way about doing things. Now, does he approach each band, do you think, in the same way? No, no, a little different, but he, he writes all the music, you know. 
I mean, he Def Leppard, Shania. He wrote every every Shania. He wrote all the Def. He and Rick Rubin are completely different. I mean, and that shows you they're they're like different stock. Both of them great producers, but completely different. Smut is a complete hands-on producer. He'll tell you what you know what what what's the fifth note of the chord ought to be, and how to sing this, and what registry ought to be here, and they'll sing this. They tell everybody what notes to play. Everybody. Now Rick Rubin doesn't do that. He's not capable of that. He's not the, you know, Mud is a great musician, but Rick Rubin is is more of a sort of a works with people who don't like a guy like Paul Simon. You don't want to tell Paul Simon what notes to play. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So uh, because because he he knows what notes to play. I, you know, they're just different. Mud Mud's a hands-on guy, and Rick Rubin's less so. I guess if you were the, the analogy with film directors, uh, uh, Mud would be a film director who does his own cinematography. And Rick Rubin would be a director who uses a cinematographer and never looks through the camera. And Rick Rubin seems to be like the Zen approach, right? Really hands off. Uh, you know, like, like you know, Jerry Wexler was that kind of producer. I mean, yeah, you know, Jerry Wexler is given this beautiful credit, but he said he had a reefer there, and he told me himself. He said, "I just say, you know, uh, either do it slower, or faster, or uh, or um, do it again." Or and, and finally, when she did it, I say, "Is that the, as good as you can do it?" And she say, "Yeah." He say, "Fine, it's done." <laughs> you know, Huey, I want to get back to your your live performances for a second. There's there's one question I've always wanted to ask an artist like you, and I never really expect an honest answer, and that's okay if you don't want to give me one either. But I've always wanted to know, you know, someone who's had a, an extensive catalog like yourself, and you're, you know, like you said, your fans want you to play the hits. Is there like is there one or two particular songs you know, from the old days that you just wish, you know? Just you know, not your favorite song to play anymore. You just kind of wish you could just kind of retire it and put it to bed and not have to play it again. Yeah, you know, I got. Yeah, you know, you're gonna think this is just us, but that's. I, I we don't have. You know, do you believe in love was our first hit and and we cut it kind of ball 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 kind of very what's that word pompous. So, so we changed the beat to it and made it into a ball ball ball. <laughs> kind of like uh, Stand By Me. Yeah, it sounds and, like and, Benny and made King. It, made it much sexier, and, and it was the one that was always tough for me, and now it's my favorite. So, but, so but, and all the others, actually, because... We were, you know, we were spring chickens when we came up, and and number one, number two, we resisted the temptation for an outside producer. We our first record was produced by a guy called Bill Snay and sold about five copies. And so at that point, I was I was upset because I felt like I could have done the same job. You know, I could have sold five copies, and and so I pleaded with my manager, who finally went to bat for me, and. Uh, and we uh, and fought for me, and so we produced their, all the, all the other records ourselves for the most part. And so, having produced them themselves, I was cognizant of writing stuff that we could live with. Plus, I was twenty nine, thirty years old already, and my dad's a jazzer, and I knew that you need to write stuff. You know, our, our stuff. I mean, one of the things I'm proudest of is we tried to write our stuff uh, timelessly. In, in other words. And it's funny, but today our shows, you know, I look out at the crowd oftentimes, and, and we have all ages, of course, as any old fart band does. But the other thing is, and we have kids and so on, but I look at the, the when I'm singing those songs, you know, Do It Off My Baby, Stuck With You, If This Is It, they are more relevant to this crowd now 
than they were to us in our 20s. We wrote these songs in our 20s, but they're really, uh, they're really more mature than that, you know? So we were anachronistic then. So uh, a roundabout way of answering your question, I don't hate any of my songs. Now that I've rearranged You Believe in Love, I'm a very happy man. <laughs> All right, easy question. What's your favorite song that you've done? There's no such thing as a favorite Come song. Come on. Trouble in Paradise. There, there isn't. It's, a, it's a lousy question, and you shouldn't ask him <laughs> that. No, no. What, first of all, the other thing you shouldn't do... That's not... Should, I, I know deep down, because... Even... year ...to naming the top ten anything. Because <laughs> you're a critic. And if you're a critic, you should point out the difference in things. What are the top five paintings of all time? Where's, uh, where's Mona Lisa? Dogs, dogs playing poker is number one. What? Dogs playing poker. Yeah, all right. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> oh, I'm come saying, on, it's Huey. It's a lousy question. What's your favorite song? That's not true. Because time? even if you ask, um, even like sometimes you get parents saying like in the deep, dark recess of the brain, they have a favorite kid. <laughs> right? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I you know, I... I agree with you, Huey. It's a, it's a rotten question. Oh, I would never ask you. Kiss it, Huey's ass. No, I'll, I'll kiss Huey's last ass all I want. But it's one of the lousy questions you hear yeah. over and over again. And and, and, and it's, it's just not... I mean, I'm trying to help you here. Yeah. You know, well, well, let me, uh, really, a, a great critic would never ask a question. Oh, like wow. Uh, it's, right in there, it's right in there with, how did you get the name the news? <laughs> And I was you know, I'm I'm crossing that off the list right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, who cares for Christ's sake? Well, let me, <laughs> let me let me ask you this then. Um every time I see a band, especially from the 80s, there's always one song that when they when you when they first hit the couple chords of it, the crowd just explodes with anticipation. They know right. this is their song. Which which song when you hit live that you get do you really sense the greatest audience yeah. swell? Uh, probably Power Love. You know what? There you go. There's the way to ask that question if you want. What what song are you proudest of? That's Sweet. a better way to ask. That Sean, I am the new pop music critic <laughs> for the same few times. So power love. Well, no, power love probably gets uh, listen. It was our biggest hit. Yeah. Power Love was probably our biggest hit. Uh, uh, you know, we had we had thirteen number one records, but, but yeah. Power Love was bigger everywhere. I think somehow that, it was number one for three weeks, yeah. and it was number, big in Europe and all that sort that, of stuff. So it's probably our most. Back to the most, Future, then, in a way, kind of played a big role for you because not only do you make you know sort of your acting debut in it, but. Your number, well, two big hits in it. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, everyone, everyone, when, when everyone talks about Back to the Future, which is you know our our fan base is all eighties, and everyone considers Back to the Future probably one of their top three favorite movies. When you talk about it, one of the favorite scenes everyone talks about is Huey Lewis going, "It's just too loud." Too darn loud. I too padded d- the part. The script said too loud, and I I padded it with too darn loud. It's I, it's a classic. It's a classic cameo that that you should be proud of. I'm very proud. It's, I mean, one, one day we'll have a film festival. It'll last. It'll be a Huey Lewis film festival. And it'll last seven seconds. No, so, you were in the. You did the I'm thing. Kidding. You did the yeah, thing I mean, with. I know, uh, I know. No, I, you know, I saw Zemeckis because. Uh, uh, what was it? I think it's been 25 years here, a couple years ago or some damn thing. And they released the the trilogy on DVD or something, right. and they had a party for it, and they, they had a big deal, and they invited me down, and and you know Michael Fox and Zemeckis and Spielberg and everybody, and we got to hang out a little bit. And Zemeckis told me, uh, which is really sweet, and he, he's a great guy, you know, and, and a smart guy. And everybody's right about this that the actual that was the last 
time that a it was an interesting time if you remember the songs didn't come from movies before that in, in the same way you know pop, there's pop music and so it did way before that when Bing Crosby and all that but right at that time uh, this was one of the first ones and, I, and he they came to us and said would you write a song for the film uh, you know they asked to have a meeting which we did with uh, Zemeckis Spielberg and and Bob Gale, who wrote it, right. and so they said, um, "Would you know this guy Marty McFly's favorite band would be Huey Lewis in the News? Would you like to write a song for the movie?" I said, "I'm flattered, but I don't know how to write for film, and and but I'll we'll certainly send you the next thing we write, uh, and but I I can tell you this: it isn't going to be called Back to the Future." And they said, "That's okay. We don't care what it's called." I said, "Okay, fine." The next thing we wrote was Power Love, and they loved it. And then what, really what happened was they released Power Love. We were a big band at the time, uh, and they released Power Love, and it went to number one in some very short period of time, like four weeks or five weeks. And that record was number one when they released the movie Back to the Future. And Zemeckis, to this day, gives credit to Power of Love for promoting that film like no other. Wow. Wow. And, I, and I think I mean, he's quite right. The record was number one when the movie was premiered. And so that was a big deal for them. And of course, then came the open the floodgates for songs from movies, all the way from Dirty Dancing to to song. And interesting enough, Power Love, you know, was a, a universal, so it was on MCA, I believe. And it they was. put the soundtrack to get album together. And the soundtrack the album it was before they had sort of envisioned cool soundtracks. Remember, from then on came soundtracks from not only Dirty Dancing, but all these movies that all went to the top of the charts. But the soundtrack for Back to the Future includes, I think, an Eric Clapton song, yep. maybe kind of a, a Phil Collins kind of a throwaway song. A Lindsey Buckingham uh, song. Power of Love and a bunch of source music. And it was just a crappy record and sold less than 500,000 units. Never, never was a hit. I don't have, I don't have a platinum record for Power Love. Really? Yeah. I, ha I had that. I had Back to the Future on vinyl and tape. It's one of my least selling records. Power <laughs> of Love. Hey, you should uh, hook up with Zemeckis again. I know. I know. It'd be great. He's a great guy, actually. Is He's he? Great God, so technically yeah. savvy too, and he was way before his time. I way mean, before his time. Talk yeah, about he's it. Got all kinds of, I mean, he's a very interesting guy. He says they, and he's right. Universal. They should do a Back to the Future motel, where each. Where each floor is a different decade. That's cool. Nice. Uh, yeah, Zemeckis guy. He had, he had all these amazing marketing ideas based on Back to the Future, and nobody ever really acted on them. But he's a very savvy cat. Yeah. You know, yeah, that was one of the first movies where they actually planted. I think. Um, oh, product placement. Yeah, Texaco and Pepsi and Nike and all that sort of stuff. Hey, you mentioned something about uh, coming up with a new album next year. Tell us more about what what you have in mind for that. Well, I, we have a batch of songs, finally. We have sort of a handful of tunes that are, you know, germinating as, as we speak. And uh, and so, we're you know, we'll just go cut them, that's all. And then, and then I don't know how we'll sell it, or I don't even know what an album is anymore. You know, I have no no concept. I don't think anyone does. In fact, uh, you know... I mean, it's so different, you know, anymore. It's just, it's just so different. And, and you watch the Grammys, and they're very interesting, because you watch, you know, a band like mine, we, we watch the Grammys, and... and and, you know, the, the band I look most like and sound most like is always the country band, for Christ's sake. And I'm the furthest thing from country. I'm, a, I'm like a soul guy. Yeah. Not that I don't like some country, but I'm just, I, you know, most of it just leaves me cold. You know, it's just sort of, I don't know, whatever. So, you know, it's pops. It sounds like pops to me. I like R&B stuff. And, and 
and I watch the Grammys, and I don't see any of that. Zero. I, it's all, uh, you know, Brooks and Dunn look like my band, for Christ's sake. That's, that's the band I look closest to, Brooks and Dunn. Hey, Huey, <laughs> you know, uh, in January of this year was like the worst-selling month in, uh, for, in like history for the music business. Right. I mean, I mean what in the hell's going on? I mean, well, five, they, they're, they're, the downloading thing. I mean, the whole for the music business is a jam band scene. There's just no question about it. You know, it's funny because Humphreys McGee cut uh, a couple of our, I guess they didn't cut them, but they called me and said they were fans of would I play with them at the jammies. I never even heard of them. And so they sent me a record, and they were really good. But I said, sure, I was going to be in New Yorkers' chance because of my day. And I sat in with them, played four songs, and had a ball. And they're great kids. I mean, and they're great players, a couple of them from Berkeley School of Music. And, you know, it's just about the music. And they're in, you know, they wear flip-flops and baggy T-shirts and, and, uh, and just play music. And, and they're, they have the best audience in the world, the audience, of course. It's it's a it, you know the audience will stand there for three hours and listen to this stuff. I mean, I can't even stand up for that long as long as <laughs> these guys can play, you know. But uh, um, but I, and I got to know them a little bit, and they're just fabulous. And and you know, it flies in the face of television music. They're there for the real music. And I explained that that's that's what my band was really. We were kind of a uh, of a of a jam band. We played all kinds of styles and music and stuff. But we had to truncate and and distill because in the 80s, uh, by, by the time 77 had run around, there was no internet, and there was no FM radio that wasn't programmed from Phoenix. It was all, it was all formatted, boom, it was CHR, and you better have a CHR hit, or you meant nothing. And so we kept truncating, truncating. If you had a four-bar intro, you'd try to make it three bars. The idea was the guy's going to put the needle on the vinyl or the cassette in the machine, and he's only going to listen for 30 seconds. And if you don't hit the hook, boom, he's going to rip it out of there and put somebody else on. So we had to get there real fast. And there was, and nowadays, it, shit, they played eight-minute tunes. The intros <laughs> are three minutes with a circle of three chords that goes on and on and on, and the kids just stay there and eat it up. And I think that's fantastic. I mean, I, I really actually think that's hope for players, for musicians, you know. And um, so I've gotten to know that scene a little bit, and I think it's encouraging. I don't know, I don't know what, how, it's, how they're going to grow with it and how they're going to make a living when they're 60 years old, but hey, that's their problem. Well, we're looking forward to the new album. We're, we can't wait to see you uh, tomorrow night at Ruth Eckerd Hall in Clearwater. And, uh, yeah, it's a gorgeous place, by the yeah, way. Yeah, really yeah. One, well, of, one of the great places. And when's the Pro-Am? When's this Pro-Am you're in? I have no idea. It seems like a stretch for me to actually try and do it, but they want me to do it really bad. So. All right, we'll knock them stiff. I appreciate it. All right, Thanks, see you, Huey. Thanks. Wow, that was fantastic. You Huey. kissed Huey Lewis's ass. I did not. Well, yes, I did. He zinged me pretty good. Yeah, but he was great to talk. That was one of my favorite interviews. I mean, he was really into it. He was super into it. And I guarantee, despite the fact that he said I had a lousy question, I guarantee that that was one of the smarter interviews Huey Lewis has conducted in recent memory. Huey. Yeah. I still love listening to him. I have his uh, greatest hit CD in the car. Um, it just came out in 2006. And uh, my favorite song, Jacob's Ladder, actually. Time to get through the night. Step by step. Fun. Written by 
Bruce Hornsby, I believe. Bruce Hornsby, yeah. My favorite is uh, Trouble in Paradise. That's an unusual pick. I'm an unusual man. <laughs> but anyway, he will play uh, a couple dates in Florida. I, I didn't realize he still played 80 gigs a year. I know. That's a, that's a pretty hefty schedule considering he's continuing his acting career. But uh, Well, that was it, a lot of fun. It was. The fact that he faced me. <laughs> we hope to have another great celebrity interview sometime soon. But in the meantime, Sean and I remain here along with Huey Lewis, firmly stuck in the 80s. They say the harder rock and roll is to be. Stuck in the 80s is produced by the St. Petersburg Times and TampaBay.com. The show is engineered by Dave Morrison. To read our blog, go to blogs.tampabay.com slash 80s. Email us at stuckinthe80s at tampabay.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast at iTunes.